Amen. Good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you here at Hope Church. As David said, my name is Nick, and I live right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here before. It's been a little bit. And so for those I do not know, it is good to meet you. A little bit about me. I have three wonderful kids. They keep getting older and taller, which makes me feel bad, but it's okay. My oldest, her name is Ava. She is 14 years old. That means she will be in high school next year. And I don't know if I'm going to let her go, but we're going to keep praying through that, and we'll see what happens. Um, but she is 14. She is bright. She loves volleyball. She started playing track and field. And so she really is lovely, lovely, lovely. And I don't say that because she's mine. I say it because she is. And my oldest son, his name is Jackson. He is 12 years old. He has a birthday next month where he will be... 13, so my house will have two teenagers in it. Y'all keep praying for me, please. Keep praying. Keep praying. But he's a football player. He loves all video games, and he really does have a very sweet spirit. And then Nash is eight years old, and uh, I don't know. I, the best way to describe Nash is he is just wide open. That just means he's brave. He'll run into a wall and bounce off. He's just that kid. And so sometimes I'm just tired, and we forget to feed him, but it's okay. Um we're going to figure it out. And really, the best part of our family is my wife. Her name is Laura. We have been married for almost 18 years, y'all, almost 18 years. Like, she has been with me longer than she has been without me. And so it's crazy to think that you've been with somebody over half of their life. I will tell you this. It did not start off well for us, if we can be honest. Um, I saw her, and I was like, hello, and y'all were like, whoa, did you see the spirit of the Lord upon her? No, she was fine, y'all, and I was just like, hey, girl, hey, uh, hey, hey, um, and I, you know, went up to her and was like, hey, I knew of her, but we had never really talked a lot, and I said, hey, you, we should go get some food together, and she goes, that's a horrible idea, and I was like, oh, okay. And she told me at the time she wasn't dating. She was really focusing on her relationship with the Lord. And I said, that's really great. As your brother in Christ, I hear you. But I pursued her anyways, everybody. And so I pursued her, and I pursued her, and I pursued her. And I think one of the reasons I pursued her is, yes, she loved the Lord. Yes, she was beautiful. But I think that when I was pursuing her, I thought that if I could be in relationship with her and then get married to her, then I would arrive. I don't know exactly what I was thinking, but I thought, hey, if I could just get to marriage and convince this woman to marry me, then everything will be okay. And so I pursued and I pursued, and eventually after a year and a half of being in the friend zone, she agreed to date me. A year and a half. And during the course of our dating, she broke up with me three times, and that is not an exaggeration. After the third time of breaking up, we came to this kind of agreement like, hey, if we get back together and if we are going to continue to walk together, then we are going to walk towards marriage. We're saying, hey, we're going to walk towards marriage together. And we got back together and we walked towards marriage. We got engaged. We were engaged for a little over a year. And then finally the day had come, y'all. I had a tuxedo, I had my friends, we had a pastor to marry us, she had all her closest friends, we had cake, we were about to do this thing. And I remember the day very, very vividly, and I remember seeing her walk down the aisle, and I was thinking to myself, Lord, this is a gift that's walking towards me right now. Out of all the men in the world, she is choosing to walk towards me. I was like, Lord, I'm, I'm about to arrive. 
I'm about to be married. I'm not going to struggle with sin as much anymore. I'm about to arrive. And she walked down the aisle. We cried a little bit. I don't know if she was crying because who she was marrying or it was just an emotional time. But we did that. And then we said, I do. And I remember turning and facing the crowd. And they said, I would like to introduce to you for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. Nick Person. And we walked down the aisle and everyone was cheering. And I thought to myself, man, we arrived. We went to our honeymoon at the happiest place on earth, they say, Disney World. My feet have never hurt so bad, y'all. And we did it. And what was interesting, the few weeks and months that passed, I learned something about marriage and I learned something about myself, which I think was very necessary, but it caught me off guard. See, I learned that marriage is not the finish line and singleness was not a curse. I'm going to say that again. Marriage was not the finish line, and singleness was not a curse. See, I thought that if I convinced this beautiful woman to marry me, then everything would be okay. And guys, that simply is not true. And to be honest with you, I viewed my singleness with a bit bit of a dark cloud over it. I thought, God, why are you punishing me? Everyone else has a boyfriend. Everyone else has a girlfriend. Oh, Lord, why are you punishing me? But hear me. Singleness is a gift. Marriage is a gift is a gift. Sometimes we don't draw it up that way. Sometimes we always yearn for what we don't have. Isn't that interesting? That we always want what we do not have. When we were single, give us marriage. When we were married, sometimes it's like, give me singleness. Amen. When we don't have kids, it's like, give us kids. When you do get kids, it's like, you can have them back, Lord, right? I mean, it's, we are never fully satisfied because Marriage is not the finish line, and singleness is not a curse. Here is the goal, everybody. The end goal is holiness. The end goal is to be like Christ. Marriage and singleness are the vehicles, not the destination. They allow, and God uses those gifts to make us more like himself, but they are not the finish line. They are simply vehicles to make us more like the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose name is Jesus That's the goal. The goal is to be like Jesus. And he will use the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness to make us more like himself. We have been navigating through the book of Corinthians. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can go ahead and turn there or tap there. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, that's okay. It'll be on the screen. And we would love to give you a Bible. So don't panic. It's going to be okay. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7. But before we go to 1 Corinthians 7, I want to highlight a verse in chapter 6 of Corinthians that will really set our destination this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. What Paul is saying to this church in Corinth is, hey, you are holy and set apart for what God has for you. You 
or have been called to be holy. It doesn't say, hey, you will arrive if you are married. Hey, you will arrive if you are single. No, it says, hey, you arrive the more you are like Christ. That's the goal. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And so if we can view marriage and singleness through this lens of God is using these vehicles in order to make us more like himself, then I think we will navigate whatever gift we are walking with. There's a pastor in New York. His name is Timothy Keller, and he says this. Any person, whether single or married, can never be completely fulfilled without having a relationship with God. Hear me. Your spouse does not fulfill you. If you're a single person in this room right now, let me just go ahead and tell you right now. The spouse does not fulfill you. Right? Doing things your own way will not fulfill you. Only Jesus can fulfill you. So as we navigate today through 1 Corinthians 7, let me pray for us and let us dive into the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what you do. Lord, my prayer for us is over the next few moments as we dive into your word, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, as we see your word, Lord, that we will be sharpened by it. Lord, I pray that maybe we have come into this place with some walls up. Maybe we have come into this place guarded. Lord, I pray that over the course of the next few moments that you allow those walls to fall down and our guard to be let down so that this truth of your word can take root in our hearts and produce some beautiful fruit. And Lord, I pray that if anything is of me, Lord, let it fall away. But if it is of you, may it take root. So, Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you. And Lord, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. So Paul is writing to this church in Corinth that is dealing with a lot of similar situations that we're dealing with. We need instruction on life. We need instruction on marriage. We need some practical steps we can take to be more like Christ. And that is why Paul is writing this letter to the church in Corinth. He wants to remind them first of whom they have been called to be in Christ and how to navigate with their brothers and sisters in a way that reflects the goodness of their God. And so as we dive in, and Paul's going to take on the subject of marriage and singleness, and we're going to begin that conversation that he was having with the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Y'all ready? Here we go. If you're not ready, get ready. Here we are. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Let me pause. This is talking about mutual submission. Let me say it again mutual submission. The man, the, the husband, should be submitted to his wife. The woman should be submitted to her husband. It's mutual submission. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. Here's what Paul is starting off this part of his letter. He said, hey, remember that marriage is God's idea, everybody. Can I just say that again? 
Marriage is God's idea. So the inventor gets to come up with the best way to navigate it. Can we all agree with that? As I was thinking about that, sometimes I often have this conversation with God of God, well, I would have done it differently. Well, God, I know what you say, but God, I would have done it differently. And as I was praying over this, God would be like, Nick, sometimes you treat me kind of like this. He said, Nick, imagine that you invite someone to your house, right? You've decorated it all beautiful. You pay the mortgage every month. You pay for the furniture, the electricity, the heat, the water in the house. And your guest comes to your house and they go, you know what? I don't like how your house is set up. I don't like this furniture. I don't like the temperature. I don't like the wall color. We need to change it. And so they get a paintbrush and start changing it. You're going to look at them like they lost their mind. Amen? Why are you going to look at them in that way? Because it's not their house. They don't pay the mortgage. They didn't pay for the furniture. And they don't pay to keep the lights running. And sometimes in life and also in marriage, we want to tell God how it should be done. Listen, the architect decides the design, everybody. And so Paul is reminding them that, hey, I know you think that you can do sexual immoral things outside of marriage. I know you think that you can do this your way. But I'm telling you, God has a plan for this, and it's a good plan. He is not trying to keep something from us. He wants something for us. He's leveraging marriage to reflect himself and so that we become more like him in the process. I wrote this down. Marriage is a means to make us more like Jesus. I know you might not be an amening group of people, but let's amen. See, I used to think that marriage was meant for my happiness. It's not. It's not. It is a tool or a vehicle that is used to make me more like Jesus. It is a tool that God is using to make me more holy. Because in marriage, I become more selfless in marriage. Because the more I have kids and the more we add to our family, the more I realize it is not about me. Marriage is also leveraged to make us more patient. Have you ever, gentlemen in the room who are married, have you ever said, hey, we're going to go on a date at this time, and you go sit down on the couch, and you are ready, and you are waiting, and your wife takes her precious time. And you go, man, what is taking so long? And my wife always tells me, I want you to know that I am worth the wait. And I'm like, amen and amen. (laughs) Marriage should make us more kind. These are all Fruits of the Spirit, and God is using the gift of marriage to make us more like himself. It should make us more kind. Let me tell you why. Because the more I see my wife, like my wife has become more beautiful to me the longer we have walked together. I see the way that she navigates with our kids. She is so good at that. She's a teacher as well. I see the way she loves other people's kids. I see the way that she deals with me. Y'all, I take a lot of patience. I am, whoa. That wasn't the place you were supposed to say amen. (laughs) But I require a lot of patience in the fact that she has forgiven me and loved me in spite of myself. Just makes me love her even more. Marriage, God is making us more faithful because we know that good, bad, or in the in-between, we are called to walk together. It, again, is not the finish line. It is a gift, but not the goal of this life. 1 Corinthians Verse 7, chapter 7. I wish that you all were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. 
Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. That is not very, like, eloquent, is it? Paul's like, listen, if you can stay single, stay single. But if you can't because you can't control yourself, then get married. I'm like, Paul, that's not set up very well. I'm like, Paul, you're not setting marriage up to be very beautiful. But what Paul is saying is saying, hey, for me it is better to be single. But for you, if you can't be single, if that's not what God is calling you to, then don't be. Don't be. Because singleness is not punishment but a gift. And let me say that again. If you're single in this room, singleness is not punishment. It is a gift. I kind of think of it this way. I think of a backpack. A lot of y'all like hiking. It makes me tired to hike and even look at the mountains in the background here. But some of you like hiking, and some of you go backpacking. I think of it like a backpack. I think if you're a married person, your backpack, you have a lot of baggage. Can I get an amen? But as someone who is single, yes, you have some things you are carrying around, but your pack is lighter. Right. And so, yes, as a married person, as someone who has kids, you can still navigate, you can still hike, you can still do all the things. But as a single person, your backpack is not as heavy. It's not that you're not dealing with the same hills and valleys that everyone else is dealing with, but your backpack is not heavy because you're not thinking about your spouse. You're not thinking about your kids. You're not having that added pressure and weight. So you're able to navigate some things. And so when you're called to go up that mountain, you can walk up that mountain a little bit easier because of the weight you're not carrying. But again, everyone has been called to walk. The goal is to be like Christ. Can I say that again? The goal is is to be like Christ. The goal is not to say, hey, I'm going to be single no matter what, or hey, I'm going to be married. The goal is to be like Christ. And sometimes we will focus on the wrong thing. I wrote this. We walk towards what we focus on. Have you noticed that? You drive towards what you're fixed upon. And I know y'all don't do this, but when you're texting and driving, I know you don't do this, but when you text and drive, you're not focused on the road, so who knows where you're going? But we will, we will walk towards what we are focused on. And hear me, if your goal and everything about you, if you're single, is to be married, you will focus on that and fixate on that, and that is what you will walk towards no matter what. But the goal that we've all been invited to walk towards is, wait for it, Jesus. That's the goal we have been called and invited to fix our lives upon. Because if we fix our eyes on that, our feet will walk towards what our eyes are fixed upon. 1 Peter, verse 13 of chapter 1 says this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope in the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is fix your eyes on Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Listen, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is holy, as we fix our eyes and as we walk, we become more holy like the one in which our eyes are fixed upon. That's the goal. Do not set your goal so low as to think it's about your relationship status, everybody. The goal is Jesus. First 10, 1 Corinthians 7. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. See, Paul is saying, hey, this is 
straight from Jesus. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. Paul's going, hey, by the discernment of the Holy Spirit, I'm not quoting Jesus here, but I think based on the character of Christ, here's how we have been called to navigate. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife? Whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Paul's going, hey, guys, listen. The Lord can use whatever position and gift he has given you. He can use it in such a way that others are drawn to the person of Jesus. He goes, hey, if for husbands and you're married to a wife that doesn't know Jesus yet, the way you live and the way you navigate can give off the aroma of the kingdom of God, and she could be drawn towards Jesus. And the same is true for the wife. By the way you live and the way you love Jesus, it could give off the aroma of the kingdom of God, and it could draw them to Jesus. Jesus wants to leverage the gift he has given us for his glory. If that's singleness, if that's married, he wants to leverage the gift he has given us for his glory. Let me put it this way. So anybody in the room like chocolate chip cookies? Amen. Praise the Lamb. I don't have any. I'm sorry. But I love chocolate chip cookies. And here's the deal. I know when chocolate chip cookies are cooking way before I even get in the kitchen. Because I can smell it. I, I pull into my garage and I open my garage door and I can smell the aroma of the cookies. And let me just tell you, whenever I smell the aroma of the cookies, I am drawn in. And so then automatically I'm on this mission to find out the source of this aroma. And I might say hi to the kids and I might greet the wife, but I'm looking for the cookies. The cookies has enticed me because I've experienced the cookies before. And I go, hey, I got to get to the cookies. So I walk into the kitchen and I discover what is given off this beautiful, lovely, glorious aroma. And if you ask me what my favorite is, I like this oatmeal chocolate chip with some pecans in it. Praise the lamb. But listen, the aroma is the thing that drew me in. But I think Paul is saying, he's saying this, hey, husbands, wives, single people, your life should give off the aroma of Jesus. That the way you live and the way you navigate and the way that you treat other people should draw people to Jesus. Because they smell the aroma that is coming off of your life and they want to find the source of that Aroma And the source of that aroma is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
no matter what situation or your relationship status is, that that aroma should be coming off of your life in such an authentic way that people are drawn in and go, you know what? I smell the aroma. I want to find the source. And the source is Jesus. And here's what's true. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, the aroma's going to be different off of your life. It's not going to be the aroma of Jesus. It might be a pretty good aroma, but it's never going to be that aroma where you go, whoo, that's something different. That's something different. And I guess a question I want to ask you is, what does the aroma of your life smell like? No matter in marriage or singleness, what is the aroma of your life? What is coming off of your life? Verse 17. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. If you have your Bibles, if, you have, if you're on your phone or whatever, I would underline that verse, and I'm going to read it again. Why? Because it's so important. Paul goes, listen, nevertheless... No matter where you are, how old you are, what your relationship status is, nevertheless, no matter where you are in this life, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Whatever the gift we have been given by Jesus, we have been invited to reflect the gift giver. Let me say it again. Whatever the gift, singleness, marriage, whatever the gift we have been given by Jesus, we have been invited to reflect the gift giver. Paul says it so beautifully in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 12, 1, it says theirs. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So because of what Christ has done on our behalf, we offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Saying, Lord, whatever you call me to do, how, wherever you call me to go, I'm going to do it. Whatever status I find myself in, Lord, I am going to leverage it and use it for your glory. You can have my life because you have given me yours. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, what Paul is saying and what he is encouraging the church in Rome is don't be like everybody else, be like Jesus. So let me say this, if you are a married person, don't be like every other married person. Be like a married person full of the Holy Spirit who's fixing their eyes on Jesus. If you're a single person, don't be like every other single person. Be like a single person filled with the Holy Spirit, fixing their eyes on Jesus. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect plan. Whatever gift you have been given, singleness or marriage, surrender it and give glory to the gift giver. One of my favorite pastors is a pastor in Texas. His name is Tony Evans. I love him. I have listened to him for a really long time, and he has really been a hero of mine of the faith. 
And he tells this story about surrender. He tells this story about using and leveraging your gifts for the glory of God. And I'm going to read it because I love this illustration. He says this, I like the story of the chicken and the pig. Both are walking down the street one day when they come to a grocery store with a sign in the window, which reads, bacon and eggs desperately needed. The chicken looks at the pig and says, I'll give them the eggs if you'll give them the bacon. The pig, the pig stares back at the chicken and replies, no way. The chicken asks, why not? To which the pig states, because for you, it's a contribution, but for me, it is my life. Let me encourage you, church, that yes, to surrender is hard, but let us be like the pig who's willing to give his life, who's willing to give his relationship status, who's willing to give their place, their job, whatever it is, as a sacrifice because Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice. Not trying to earn what is free, but to respond to the gift that was given to each and every one of us because you cannot pay for a gift. You can only receive it and respond to it. So I pray for us that we will leverage whatever gift God has given us for his glory, and we will use it to reflect our king, to reflect our Lord and Savior, and we will give glory and honor to that gift giver no matter the gift. If you would, bow your heads for me. I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you find yourself as a married person, or maybe you find yourself as someone who is single again. Maybe you find yourself as someone who has been single for a while, and you have been wondering, Lord, how can I give this to you? How can I surrender this gift that you have given me to you? My prayer for us is that whatever gift Jesus has given to us, that we will leverage it for his glory, because he will leverage the vehicle for our good. And so, Lord, I just pray that maybe in this room there, there are those of us in here that have more questions about this Jesus who offered his life as a sacrifice. And what does it mean to receive that sacrifice and then to offer our lives back to him? Lord, I pray that there will be some conversations that can happen based on that invitation. Lord, I pray that maybe with some married couples in this room, maybe they have not been the best steward of their gift of marriage. Lord, I pray that you will remind them that they can walk in a new direction and that they can be more intentional and that they could treat that gift well. Lord, for those of us in here who long so desperately maybe to be in relationship with somebody, but yet that has not come yet, Lord, I pray that you will remind us that you truly are enough. Let me say that again. Jesus, you truly are enough. And Jesus, I pray that that is just not words on our lips, but it is the way we walk and it is the way that we live. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for the gift of singleness and of marriage. And Jesus, thank you ultimately for the gift of yourself that has changed us. You have brought us from death to life through your offering on a cross and your resurrection from the grave. Thank you, Jesus. May our lives give off the aroma of the king who sits on the throne 
of our lives. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen.